0: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our series titled Kingdom Come. Today, we're going to be studying Ezekiel chapter 45 with Don Bauman. Don, what do you think are a few things we should keep in mind as we study this chapter? Well, Josh, we've all had times when life becomes pretty routine, haven't we? You know, when those moments occur, we may wonder whether what we are doing really matters. Ezekiel chapter 45 contains many details of life for redeemed Israel during a time period called the millennium, when Jesus has returned and is ruling and reigning on the earth. Now, these details reveal that God keeps his promises and that what we do every day is important and has significance in his eyes. So with that in mind, let's listen and prepare to be encouraged from what might otherwise be a puzzling passage of scripture well good morning um i hate to interrupt those conversations because they are really important but uh continue them continue them uh at the lunch i really hope you can stick around for that because uh, you know this sanctuary refresh just went so well at the beginning of the year and you kind of wonder okay what about the rest of the plans? Uh, on days like today, we kind of wish we already had the covered drop-off, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Ron Hamm said, yeah, you need, you need a, a sales out there to navigate the parking lot. But um, yeah, it, it, please stay for that. It, it'll be a real special time to, to hear the, the plans going forward. Uh, We are in Ezekiel chapter 45, and we're changing things up just a little bit. Uh, Kurt is going to summarize chapters 46 through 48 next week, and then in the month of November we're going to do a, uh, a mini-series on, on mental health. It's uh, it's an issue, right, that, uh, that strikes near and dear for all of us. Mental health is just as important as physical health, and uh, the Lord has a lot to say about it, and also how we can... Um, maintain our mental health. Walk with God in the midst of uh, a struggle with mental illness. You know, it, there's a whole lot of shame associated with it, and it's something we don't even want to talk, much less uh, recognize. And the Lord doesn't treat it that way. So, anyway, we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna spend the month of November looking at that. So. Um, our, this this chapter is one where there are so many details. Well, you you know by now that Ezekiel uh, was a detail wonk anyway. You know, he, he's just one of those guys who, who loves facts and figures, and and uh, that's just what. That's the way God hardwired him, and, and that's what he recorded in, uh, in what he wrote. But um, there's so many details that it, it, it's easy to kind of have our eyes glaze over a little bit and get a little lost. But there are, there are some real key truths in this passage. It's in God's word for a reason. One is that our lives are important, and we are meant, and we do have an impact on people whether we like it or not our family our friends our colleagues our co-workers our employees our neighbors we have an impact on them and that impact is meant to be the life of jesus being lived out in us now we've all had experience with neighbors um some of them great some of them uh, otherwise right uh our current neighbors are great uh they're 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 just Wonderful we watch each other 's animals and and uh, yeah um, it, it, it they're wonderful we've had some of those other experiences as well. Um, I have to think back to when we lived on the on the Oregon coast and today reminds me of a day on the Oregon coast. Days like this were pretty common there and um, one of our first neighbors was not the uh, this is illustrating how our lives can have an impact on others, right? This guy wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, and he was having a hard time understanding the concept of an easement, because our driveways were an easement, right? And he was he was getting annoyed that we actually wanted to use our driveway. And, uh, you know, he, he, the idea that we were meant to share it was just getting lost. and And so it came to a head one evening where, kind of a, Weather like this, it was rainy, got dark early, and I was heading to a uh, a meeting at church and I just put it in reverse and I'm zipping out the driveway and bam, I hit something where thin air used to be. (laughs) And I got out and there was a four by four post installed by my neighbor who thought that was where his property line was. So anyway, that, yeah, no, that's, that's one way we can have an impact on our neighbors that we probably don't want to have. But we have an impact whether we like it or not, right? And we want to be those neighbors that show the love of God. And, and that's one of the... Um, The points in this passage is that because there's so many details and we can, you know, oh my gosh, I don't understand it because we're not Jews and this is all about the Hebrew life and we can get lost. And the point is God's in the details. He's in the details of our lives as well. And we have an impact whether we're aware of it or not and we need to be aware of it. And our lives... (laughs) have an impact not only now but for eternity. And so we're going to see that pretty clearly uh today and so chapter 45 is going to look at how our relationship with the living God should impact our everyday lives through things like our business dealings, our finances, our response to the Lord and our heart and our homes. And this impact should be visible to others, just like our behavior is to our neighbors, like it or not. Right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, We are just so thankful for you. For the life that we find in you, not only forgiveness, but life and purpose and meaning and direction and guidance and protection and much, much more. Lord. um, Open our eyes to help us as. As non-Jewish people to understand this very, very Hebrew passage in your word, and and then help us to see how you want to live out your life through ours, and we just ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, this passage, we're going to take it in little chunks because we kind of have to, uh, because it's talking about things that... We'll quickly go over your head and mine. Um, the, the first part, it, again, the, this vision that Ezekiel is recording, he's right in the middle of this vision that is next to the, the book of Revelation. Uh, this is the longest continuous vision in the Bible. Book of Revelation is longer. But uh, it's a vision of, of Israel. When Jesus has returned, Israel has been regathered from all nations. They are safe and secure. Jesus is reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. Satan and all his demonic forces have been imprisoned in an area called the bottomless pit from which they will be released briefly at the end of the Millennium. And so uh, Ezekiel has described this new temple, a temple that has not existed and won't exist until this time. He's described it in very, very painstaking detail, led by an angel who uh, gives him the measurements and he writes them down. And now he's getting into the duties of priests, and and, and in verses one through eight, he's going to talk about God's provision for those who serve in the temple uh the priests and the levites so we'll just kind of take it in little chunks so we don't get too lost um and again that goes for both of us right verse 1 in ezekiel 45 when you divide the land by lot as an inheritance you must set aside a donation to the lord a holy portion of the land eight and a third miles long and 6 and 2 thirds miles wide. Now, if you have some other unit of measure, uh, that's what it means, OK? This entire tract of land will be holy. In this area, there'll be a square section for the sanctuary, 875 by 875 feet with 87 and a half feet of open space all around it. From this holy portion, you'll measure off an area 8 and a third miles long and 3 and a third miles wide in which the sanctuary, the most holy place, will stand. It will be a holy area of the land to be used by the priests who minister in the sanctuary, who draw near to serve the Lord. It will be a place for their houses, as well as a holy area for the sanctuary. There'll be another area, eight and a third miles long and three and a third miles wide, for the Levites who minister in the temple. It will be their possession for towns to live in as the property of the city you must set aside an area one and two-thirds of a mile wide and eight and a third miles long adjacent to the holy donation of land it will be for the whole house of Israel and the prince this is a guy who appears here and he has kind of a, a big role the prince will have an area on each side of the holy donation of land and the city's property, adjacent to the holy donation and the city's property, stretching to the west on the west side and the east on the east side. Its length will correspond to one of the tribal portions from the western boundary to the eastern boundary. This will be a, his land as a possession in Israel. Got it? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. The, the Now... Um, God gives uh, Ezekiel, he he says there's going to be the land will be divided between the the tribes of Israel as it was um, when Joshua entered the land. It's very similar to a command that the Lord gave Joshua. And uh, it's just a reminder that one of the many reminders in this chapter that God keeps his promises and we can trust him. Specifically, he keeps his promises to Israel. He's not done with Israel, not by a long shot. The promises that he's made of land, seed, and blessing, he is going to keep. The the promises of seed and blessing are ones that come through Jesus Christ. Now he's going to deal with land. And, um, the land that Israel will occupy in the millennium uh, will be greater than it has been at any time in their history. It came close during Kings David and Solomon. In fact, um, Joshua said, uh, in, in God said in Joshua 1.4, Uh, to Joshua, your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. And if you look on the map uh, at the area that Israel covered during the reign of King Solomon, it's going to be pretty close to that. It'll cover all of the current land of Lebanon and a good chunk of Syria as well. And um, In the chapters that Kurt will will go over next week, uh, the the land in Israel, when Jesus returns, will be divided between the various tribes once again. And picture those as stripes, uh, horizontal stripes, uh, going across the whole map of Israel. Now, previously, Levites were scattered throughout the entire nation. And uh, the Lord was said to be their inheritance. Now, when Jesus returns, they're given some specific land. And this is just God taking care of them. Now, um, the staff here are not Levites by far, but you take very, very good care of us. And we thank you for that. And in verses two through five, uh, it says you must set aside a donation to the Lord, a holy portion of the land, eight and a third miles long and six and two thirds miles wide. Now, um, this is a strip of land that goes across the, the nation of Israel then and picture it as there's a square in the middle of it and it's divided into thirds and then divided more beyond that. That's what that little diagram is on the right hand side. Now, this is bigger. Um, this holy portion of land is bigger than all of modern Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is currently 48 square miles and this is 55 and a half so obviously there's going to be big changes that will take place Um, the sanctuary area set apart just for the sanctuary is 17 and a half acres and then there's areas for the priest houses around it now the blue area on that diagram is the area where that little Square in the middle of it is where the sanctuary will be and then the rest is for the priests and for area for for them to live and then the pink area is where the Levites the ones who serve and do a lot of the the work in the temple that's where they'll live and then there's civic property that's the green area uh, adjacent to it and in verse 7 there's a large tract of land to the east and to the west, that is set aside for this guy called the prince. And he plays a pretty crucial role in a lot of... uh, act. He has a lot of administrative responsibilities. But who is he? Well, Ezekiel has already told us. um, Back in chapters 34 and 37, Ezekiel identifies the prince as King David, having been raised from the dead. And uh, in Ezekiel 37 verse 25, uh, it says, they, Israel, will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren. And my servant David will be their prince forever. Now. And and there's more verses that are listed in your uh, handout and you can investigate on your own. You shouldn't just take Kurt or my word for it. You should check out uh, what the Bible says yourself. Um, This is a little mind-blowing. And clearly, there's a lot that we don't understand about God's plans for us. If here's King David... And he has a, uh, he's raised from the dead and he's got responsibilities in the millennium. In the book of Revelation, it says that we are king, we're made a kingdom of priests and we'll reign with Jesus on the earth. So there's a little sliver of, of, of revealing that God's plans are huge. And we don't know a lot of the details probably because we wouldn't understand them. But the short of it is our lives are important. What we do now is really important, and that's, that's so vital to remember when, I mean, because all of us can get kind of caught up in the humdrum and the regular everyday life, and it can, you kind of can get a little discouraged and disheartened because you get a little beat up by circumstances and plans don't go as, you, as you'd like, and you kind of go, well, what's, what's the point? What's the impact? that my life is having. I didn't get to do this, this, and this. Is my life important at all? Yes. Absolutely. You're, you know, Again, think of your impact on your neighbors, uh, on all the people that you know. We are meant to have an impact. And as King David illustrates here, the impact of our life continues through eternity and so we we just need to know we can trust God and we 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 want to make use of everything he's given us all those talents those gifts those abilities those opportunities now knowing that it's important and our lives have an impact now Verse 8 speaks about the the prince deeding some of the land to his children. And then this is an example uh, for those who were in authority in Ezekiel's day. They're called princes. And uh, Ezekiel in chapter 19 already took them to task. Because their misconduct was a good portion of the reason why they were in exile. They were corrupt. Now corrupt political leaders... That's a concept we've never heard of. Now I'm not talking parties because corruption is not confined to one party or another. Right? It's 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 a trait of the of unredeemed humanity and. Um, Anyway, then then he uses that as a segue to go into how knowledge of how important our lives are and the impact that our lives have is meant to influence our behavior right now. And that's what the second part of verse 8 all the way to 12 is all about, uh, ethical conduct. My princes will no longer oppress my people, but give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. This is what the Lord God says. You've gone too far. Princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and do what is just and right. Put an end to your evictions of my people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You must have honest scales, an honest dry measure, and an honest liquid measure. The dry measure and the liquid measure will be uniform with the liquid measure. Now remember, Ezekiel's the detail wonk, right? So here he goes. Uh, With the liquid measure containing five and a half gallons and the dry measure holding half a bushel. Their measurement will be a tenth of a standard larger capacity measure. The shekel will weigh 20 giras. Your mina will equal 60 shekels. Now, so, so Ezekiel now switches to the, the present time, and uh, he, he reminds the priests, those who had authority, they're in exile too, that they are to no longer oppress others. And in in verse 9, the message is stop violence and oppression. Now, they can't do anything because they're in exile. But when they get authority again, they're to stop violence and oppression and do justly. They're told to end evictions and dispossession. Uh, Before their exile, uh, uh, political corruption was resulting in people being ripped off. And again, I know that's a foreign concept to us. But uh, specifically, people were being disinherited from the land that was meant to be their inheritance. And and that was, you know, that was their life savings. And they were being evicted from the land that was rightfully theirs so that this corrupt official could get even more rich. And the most... uh, Grievous example in scripture was Queen Jezebel when her husband, King Ahab, wanted a vineyard next to his palace uh, owned by a farmer named Naboth. And Naboth said, no way, sir. Thank you very much. And, And so Jezebel had Naboth murdered so that her husband could have what he wanted. Stuff like that was happening over and over and over again. And having authority is a serious thing. Whether it's secular authority, whether it is is servant leadership in the church, We'll, we'll touch on that in just a moment. It is something for which everyone who has authority will give an account before God. And those who are pretending... That God doesn't exist or they are God themselves are in for a rude awakening. And, and it may seem that justice is not happening at all. But when Jesus returns, it will. Okay. And, and that can encourage us. You know, when you see corruption and you see the impacts of it. I mean, you read about in Haiti and, and we're, we're praying for those missionaries there and, and the whole country given over to gang violence, rulers by gangs. And that happens all over the world. Many parts of Africa. And, and corruption has a huge negative impact on any nation where that happens. Those people who are corrupt will give an account to God one day. And, and the same goes for businesses in, in verse 10. They're, they're to treat their customers ethically by having honest scales, honest dry measures, and an honest liquid measure. Uh, Proverbs 11, 1 says dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord. But an accurate weight is his delight. And and then, again, Ezekiel gets right into the details so that there's no ambiguity. He spells out, all right, here are the standards. Here's the liquid measure. Here's the dry measure. And and, and then in, in terms of money, here's how much each coin should weigh okay because then uh, money wasn't paper it was real metal real silver and people who wanted to rip others off would mess with the scales And he says here's exactly how much each coin should weigh and um, in the dry and the liquid measure, he's saying, you know, the, 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 the larger standard measure was called a homer. Now, that was not a baseball term back then, okay? It actually comes from the word for donkey. And, and it's thought that the word homer was talking about a donkey load. Okay, so he's saying here, each measure is specific. And dishonest business practices, just like political corruption, Uh, have persisted as long as there have been businesses and governments, right? Because people need to be redeemed by Jesus. And they don't behave differently until they are. And uh, both of those practices are a combination of lying and theft, if you think about it, right? Uh, If if somebody's uh, a dishonest business person, they're lying to you. They're saying that you're getting a fair deal, and you're not. Same with those who are politically corrupt. They're telling you one thing and doing something else. Um, they're also, it's, it's theft, because you think you're getting a fair deal, and, and instead, it's, you're being ripped off. And lying and theft are part of uh, our old way of life, may have been part of our old way of life, that Jesus killed. We weren't reformed, we were crucified and raised from the dead. And the power of lying and theft and every other strong desire of the flesh has been broken. And so if unfair business practices, corrupt practices have been a part of your behavior, they don't have to be and they ought not to be anymore. And that's what Paul speaks about in Ephesians 4. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Our words are important. They affect each other. And the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. The solution is new life in Jesus. Now, the chapter concludes in verses 13 through 25 with a description of worship and how, um, how important worship is. And the prince, who we now know as King David, has an administrative role in the worship of Israel during the, the millennium. And um, again... Our time together like this, our worship privately with the Lord, it's important. It's important to our walk. Uh, The encouragement that we can offer to each other is important to one another. And and that's something that this passage can remind us about. What we do um, is really, really important. Let's take 13 through 25 in little chunks. First, uh, Ezekiel speaks of contributions given to support worship in the temple beginning in verse 13 this is the contribution you're to offer three quarts from five bushels of wheat and three quarts from five bushels of barley the quota of oil and liquid measures will be one percent of every core core equals 10 liquid measures or one standard larger capacity measure again he's being real specific here Um, since 10 liquid measures equal one standard larger capacity measure. And the quota from the flock is one animal out of every 200 from the well-watered pastures of Israel. These are for the grain offerings, burn offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement for the people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, this is... Per- Everyone is to participate. Everyone in Israel is participating in the giving to support worship at the temple. And this is provision for the sacrifices. And if you're a, a barley farmer, you give three quarts from every five bushels you bring in. If you're an olive farmer, uh, you, you donate 1% of the oil that you make. And and you're, you're a rancher, you, you give one, one animal from every... 200 that you have. And these offerings, remember, it can be confusing um, to us because we go, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus sacrifice end offerings? And his, he atoned once and for all for our sins. But uh, the, the Jewish people are able to live out their Hebrew manner of life. And all of these sacrifices now point back And for at this time, they know who their Messiah is. And these are ways of remembering who Jesus is and what he's done. Okay. Jesus' sacrifice obtained uh, atonement once and for all. But uh, uh, they're a chance to remember what he has already done. Now, the prince's job description is in verses 16 and 17. All the people of the land must take part in this contribution for the prince in Israel. Then the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths for all the appointed times of the house of Israel will be the prince's responsibility. He will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Now, so here the, the people are contributing and, and King David as the administrator is making sure that, that those in charge, the priests and the Levites, have what they need. He, he's kind of like the quartermaster. He makes sure they have what they need. And so giving and the administration of those gifts are both essential parts of worship. And it's the same thing today. Um, your gifts to the Lord are, are really important. And those here at Hilltop, charged with administering those gifts, take that responsibility really, really seriously. And um, I'm just so thankful for each one of them. And I may embarrass some of them, but they'll get over it, okay? Uh, these are folks that are working behind the scenes, administering the gifts that you give. Um, there's Tara Lenz and Allison Francis, our, our financial team. And then we have our deacon board. Uh, you're going to hear from many of these people at the lunch today. Uh, Vern Cron is the new deacon board chair. Uh, Herb Shedd, Dave Hennig, and Susie Cornell make up the deacon board. They agonize over how uh, the gifts are going to be used, along with the elder board. That's Sean Sever, uh, Dave Norvell, Kurt, uh, Hoyt Temple is our newest elder. We're so glad to have him on and uh, and me. And uh, we want to thank Kerry Clubbin. He recently stepped uh, off the elder board for his and also for Shane Thomas's service uh, to the Lord through the elder board. And then, of course, there's the staff. These are people who have the responsibility to use the to put the gifts to the intended use. Also, the the mission team uh, just labors to make sure that the missionaries are blessed and that every dollar donated is put to its intended use. And we are so grateful for these people. Now, in verses 18 through 20, in all these other sacrifices, there's an Old Testament corollary. There's there's something you can find that, that Israel did. In the Old Testament, what's happening in verses 18 through 20 is new. It's different. This is what the Lord God says. In the first month, on the first day of the month, you'll take a young, unblemished bull and purify the sanctuary. The priest must take some of the blood from the sin offering and apply it to the temple doorposts. The four corners of the altar's ledge and the doorposts of the gate to the inner court. You must do the same thing on the seventh day of the month for everyone who sins unintentionally or through ignorance. In this way, you'll make atonement for the temple. Now, this is a way to kind of biannually, twice a year, set the the altar and the whole area of worship there apart for the Lord through a a sacrifice. Um, It occurs on the first day of the first month and then also the seventh day. And many feel it's the seventh day of the seventh month, which is in the fall. And um, it is done for everyone who sins unintentionally or through ignorance. Whoa. That means even the sins that we commit and we're not even aware of have cons- consequences. And boy, that just, it's not meant just to turn into a ball of guilt, but to, to realize how impossible it is for us to be right and live right without God's help. But he's provided everything, everything we need. He he has uh, provided his word to guide us, his his people to encourage us, to teach us, to direct us, to give us a swift kick when we need it, and his strength to depend upon. He has provided everything we need, and we just need, you know, we just don't want to try and live the Christian life in our own strength. Now, these these times, these biannual times of of reflection and sacrifice may replace two holidays, uh, New Year's or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Remember, Jesus' sacrifice has atoned once and for all, for all sins. So there's no need for the Day of Atonement anymore. In fact, remember, there is no Ark of the Covenant in the temple anymore because it's not needed. Jesus has atoned once and for all, for all of our sins. But that, ref- that time of reflection is, a, is kind of a good thing for us. It's a good idea to just have time to reflect on how, how's, our, how's my life going? How's my walk with Jesus? Okay, and that's not meant to be an ego trip ball. Oh, God, you're so lucky to have me on your team. Uh, nor is it meant to be a time where we beat each other, beat ourselves up. Instead, it's a time of reflection and thinking. Wow, Lord, thank you, thank you for all you've done. Show me, direct me. Show me where I'm a little off base. Show me where you're directing me where I, I have no clue. Times like that are really important. Remember last week we talked about just having a time set aside in our schedule for Jesus. A time with Jesus alone. Here's a purpose for it. A time to reflect on where we're going and how our our walk is. The, the, The last verses speak of specific holidays that are observed during the millennium as well. Verses 21 through 25. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you're to celebrate the Passover. A festival of seven days during which unleavened bread will be eaten. On that day, the prince will provide a bull as a sin offering on behalf of himself and all the people of the land. During the seven days of the festival, he'll provide seven bulls and seven rams without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord on each of the seven days, along with a male goat each day for a sin offering. He'll also provide a grain offering of half a bushel per bull and half a bushel per ram, along with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. Now, Ezekiel just rattles this off because he's a Levite, right? We kind of go, whoa, Uh, you know, but he's familiar with these details. Now it switches to the Feast of the Tabernacles. At the festival that begins on the 15th day of the seventh month, he'll provide the same things for seven days. The same sin offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, and oil. So there will be two holidays that the... The people of Israel will observe together when Jesus returns. Now, I'm sure this is a great encouragement to hear the Passover will be one of them. Because remember, Ezekiel was given this vision on the day when they would have started observing Passover had they not been in exile. And I'm sure he was just, I'm sure his heart was broken. Going, oh, I want to do this so badly. And, and to see that Passover will be observed in the future, I'm sure greatly encouraged him and it's a time to remember that Jesus death delivered us from enslavement to sin and death once and for all that time to remember is really important that's one of the functions of the Lord's supper right now and verse 22 shows proof positive that the prince is not Jesus. Some people have thought that, but it says there that he provides a sin offering for himself and all the people. Jesus doesn't need a sin offering. He became sin for us so that we would be made right in God's sight. So Prince is not Jesus. The Feast of Tabernacles was a fall festival. It occurred during the harvest, and it was a time when Israel remembered how God provided for them and took care of them and preserved them during those 40 years in the wilderness. And to remember that time, they would live uh, like modern Jews will live in tents for a week. Uh, or they, they would live in like lean-tos that they constructed with palm uh, fronds as uh, uh, the roof. And it just reminded them of how God took care of them. And God keeps his promises. The the Feast of Tabernacles will be observed not only by Israel, but by all other nations. Uh, The prophet Zechariah talks about that in Zechariah 14. Is that all nations will be involved remembering that God keeps his promises. He preserved Israel. And he keeps his promises to us. And uh, there's two... National holidays that are noticeably absent. One is Pentecost. That's being fulfilled now during the age of the church. And of course, the, the, uh, the Day of Atonement, Jesus' death atoned once and for all. And so that holiday is no longer needed. Whew, there's been a lot of details in this passage and it's easy to get a little lost as Gentiles, right? As non-Jews, it's easy to get lost uh, in some of these details. But one of the messages that's so clear is that God is in the details of our lives. They're really important to him. He didn't just, uh, you know, save us and say, good luck. He's involved. He's our provider, our protector our defender he's everything that we need and um, we we can step back from this passage and and walk out of here with a couple of things firmly in our mind one is that uh god is in the details he keeps his promises he, he keeps his promises to Israel. He keeps his promises to us. And our worship and service to him are important. Our, our giving is important. That's how God provides. Your, you may be the answer to prayer for other people. Now, you know, today, God, he's able to, but he seldom will provide simply by there it is. He will provide through people. And that just brings to mind the food truck yesterday. Uh, And and the people who, wow, they got a week's groceries from this. It was really, really, it's just a wonderful thing uh, to see. So God provides through our generosity and our service. And our lives are important. They have an impact. Not only now, you know, with our friends, neighbors, colleagues, family but that impact extends into eternity in ways that we can't even begin to appreciate. Witness King David, right? And so we want to use all those talents, all the gifts, all the opportunities that God gives each of us, knowing that they are important. We want to keep in mind the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, My dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not only saving us, but for giving us new life and for giving that life so much purpose and meaning. Meaning beyond what we can even appreciate. Lord, help us to trust you. If there are those who are discouraged today, disheartened, disillusioned, I pray that you would provide exactly what they need. Vision, direction, uh, material things, whatever it is that they need. And and might each one of us trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of the details about Jerusalem in the millennium, the donation of land for the temple site, the sacrifices and offerings, the giving to support Israel's worship, many of these details may be confusing to us as non-Jews. But two things become very clear from this passage. God keeps his promises to Israel and also to us. And our lives have value and our actions have significance. We affect others now, and that impact continues into eternity. It's so important to know that we can be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ by what He has done. He's done all that was necessary to make us right with God, things which we could never do. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, became sin on our behalf and paid for us as sinners so that we could become right with God. We live a new life now and have the certain hope of eternal life. If you have any questions about how to know Jesus Christ personally, please contact us. So it's great to remember that God will keep his promises and we know our lives are important to him. Today you have been listening to our series Kingdom Come where we have been talking about living in God's presence. We pray that you were both challenged and encouraged by God's word today. Join us again next week as we dive into Ezekiel's chapter 46 through 48 with Kurt Katzorki. The dream is that hilltop is a home for the growing family of God and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.